I'd get the question, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was an NHL hockey player. That's all I wanted to do. I remember just the anticipation. I loved to compete. I loved the speed of it. I loved to score. Grew up in Peterborough, Ontario. Peterborough was a hockey town, so it was filled with hockey rinks. Um, balancing that with school and church and family. You know, hockey is stats-related, performance-based, and that kind of, I think, carried over as a kid into just trying to be a good kid. At six years old, I was about to go to school, and I asked my mom if I could ask the Lord into my heart, and I still remember where and on my knees and prayed with my mom. At six, it's, I don't know if you really understand everything. You definitely don't, but it's definitely a start. I left home at 17. I was drafted into the Ontario Hockey League, so I went away at 17 and left family and friends and security of your kind of home church. And um, I was playing with 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds. And I, uh, I struggled trying too much to maybe fit in and I was focusing for so long on what I can't do. I can't swear, I can't drink, can't have sex, can't do all these things. Meanwhile inside I'm not I'm not focusing on that relationship. It was hockey took over. At 19 I get to the I make it to the NHL and making a great salary. Um it's, I made it. Made my childhood dream and everything was great on the exterior, the interior. Not good at all. Yeah, I remember signing my first contract. I was 19 years old. Just kind of a little bit unbelievable. You know, that should have been, that's every kid's dream is to sign a contract. And I remember going out that night to a bar, getting drunk, making bad decision, and waking up the next morning feeling like the worst piece of crap that I could ever you know, feel like. There's a lot of inside feelings of a lot of different things. I was letting people down. I was letting God down. Trying to hide. Trying to pretend like everything was great. Still go to church, but maybe be hungover. Not really into it, but just putting up a kind of a facade. When I did a Bible study with my cousin, who I was living with at the time at the age of about 22, I get to a scripture It's Luke 9:23 to 25. And it says, if you want to be a follower of me, you have to put aside your own selfish desires. Shoulder your cross daily and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? 
I remember that scripture just kind of hitting me, and that was for me. Because I'd reached my dreams. I had money and everything he thought was cool and just wasn't working, and I knew the answer. But I hadn't been looking for it in the right places, and through a process of just praying and getting in the Word with my cousin, uh, my life was changed. And for the first time, I remember thinking, man, this is, this is really... real. It wasn't because of my parents. It wasn't because I was supposed to be in church, but it became real to me and didn't happen overnight, but slowly God changed me on the inside and I started to not worry about the don'ts, but just focus on just pursuing Him and slowly God started to just bring up stuff, started to confess things in my life that I wasn't proud of, and slowly God just kind of released that. It wasn't religion anymore. It was a real relationship. That was awesome. Game day, I still get goosebumps. Thankful to be able to do what I love to do. I fail. Definitely, I'm on the back end of my career. I'm a guy that's kind of not very patient at times, and I'm a slow healer. But I finally figured out that it wasn't just about performing. It's just accepting his love in spite of our failures and our mistakes. That love of the Father is unconditional. And that's a pretty good feeling to, to know that how much he loves me. My name is Mike Fisher, and I am second. That's a good testimony. Amen. He's married to Carrie Underwood, I believe it is, Mike Fisher. So, pretty good. Well, amen. Uh, again, welcome new lifers and visitors. Uh, as you can see, that we're, we're down a little bit on our numbers. We've got a lot of people, which is a good thing, though, in, in this case. There's a lot of people to uh, Lake Charles with Doug and them and uh, doing a mission work there. And so, it's pretty cool. 30-something people, I think. Was it 31? I think they had. So that, that's really good. And so, uh, as always, the backup pastor is here to save the day. How many of you have seen the backup pastor video that we show here? How, how many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you know what I'm saying? Okay. All right, we've got to show that again. We got, there's a lot of people here have not seen. the. That's how I got my name, this funny video, right? And so I'll we'll show it sometime. The old backup pastor, right? Number two. 
Number two. That's me. All right. But anyway, so I always do appreciate Doug letting me have a chance to come up here and preach. And I appreciate you all coming and listening to me, putting up with my nonsense. Um, but anyway, hey, we want to get into the Word of God and see what God has us, for us today. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at uh, this idea, something that's always uh, been in my mind ever since I was a kid. And, you know, I got saved when I was 11. And uh, just I remember seeing this and hearing this, this idea about, uh, about but God. But God. When God intervenes. But God. There's these passages in the Bible, and there's a lot, but when, it, when God kind of steps in, and, and does something, and it says there, but God, and it goes on. So I want to look at that. And the question is, is how much does God intervene? How much does God really uh, interact in what we do? Now, there's some people on one extreme that think that God just kind of, um, you know, created the world, did what he did, whatever part he had there, right? And just kind of like, you know, let it go. And kind of watch from a distance and, oh, oh that's bad. Oh, yeah. And just kind of like that, you know. The other extreme over here is that God created anything. And then that God is in everything and every part and every choice and every decision. As a matter of fact, God even picks where you park your car. That kind of, kind of thing. You know, he, he, got, he does everything. You know, you almost don't have a choice. And that's, you know, both of those kind of extremes are not good, but the one, there's a lot of Christians that seem to, seem to have this far extreme of God choosing everything for us, and it's called fatalism. Called fatalism. That's a doctrine that events are fixed in advance so that human beings are powerless to change, to change them. So um, this, I think, comes from a misunderstanding of what the sovereignty of God is. The sovereignty of God is God is all-powerful. He truly is. But um, But the idea that, like, if I jump out of a plane without a parachute and say, well, if God wants me to live, he's going to let me live. You know, that's this guy's and just jump out. Okay. Which is not only kind of stupid, but that's exactly what Satan did when he took Jesus on the, on the pinnacle, that, on the tallest part of the temple. And he said, which is about, I think it was like 300 to 500 feet high. It's huge. It's, it's, it's right on the corner where the mountain goes down. And he tells Jesus, jump, jump without a parachute. If you really are the son of God, God's going to save you. And Jesus said, hey, now that's tempting God. That's forcing God to intervene in something you know it's not, he's, it's not his will. So how much does God really intervene? God doesn't have to choose every second of your life to be sovereign. Passages like Matthew 23 when he talks about that he wants to gather the chicks under his wing, but they would not. I'll give you that if an asteroid that is out in the edge of the, you know, between the, the asteroid field between Jupiter and Mars, which is somewhere between 111 million miles to 204 million miles, depends on where the Earth is, can come out of the asteroid belt, fly through interstellar space, to catch up with a planet that's going 440,000 miles an hour, that's spinning, mind you, coming through the atmosphere, burn almost all the way up, and hit your car? All right, God picked your parking spot. I'll give that to you. All right? But you know what? If you look at the next picture... It missed it by a foot. I mean, it hit it by a foot. 
one more foot, and that asteroid would have missed the car. So honestly, we don't know to what extent God intervenes. It's probably a lot more than what you realize. God intervening in your life, doing stuff for you, stopping you at that stoplight because there's that deer that's going to run out a little bit farther ahead, and he's saving you from that. You you don't realize the things God intervenes. But not to the extent where the power of your choice and your responsibility is taken away from you. Okay? But God does intervene. So I want to look at some things where God intervenes and and kind of see um, that we know for sure what God does for us. Okay? First, we'll look at how God can redeem the bad. God can redeem the bad. Now, I like the word redeem because the word redeem uh, basically means to get back what was thought lost, right? So, you know, you have some bad things happen in your life. You think, man, what a loss all those things that happened to me, you know, but God can redeem that. God can bring back what you thought was lost and no good, and God can make good of that. He really can. You know, when Joseph was talking to his brothers, and if you know the story in the Old Testament, you know how Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, and so they, they pretty much destroyed his life. They tried, they thought about killing him, but then they, they put him in a pit and were going to sell him, and some different things happened, and eventually he got taken away. They didn't realize that he, someone came by and found him and took him. Off to Egypt he, he went. They lied about it, told their father he was dead and all this stuff, and then Joseph, at the end of life, uh, I should say, whenever his brothers came to Egypt, and here he was, number two in power, and God had brought him through all these years and brought him to this place of prominence and famine in the land. His brothers come to him, don't realize who he is, and he says, hey, man, I'm Joseph. I'm, I'm your brother that you tried to kill, you thought to get rid of. And they were afraid and thinking, oh, man, we're dead. But this is what Joseph said. He said, but, he says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about, it is today to save many people's lives. See, God is able to bring good out of something bad. Bad decisions, bad experiences, bad relationships, things that are painful, hurtful, things that are evil. God can intervene and bring good out of it. Now... You know, when you've been in the ministry, you know, you know, I've been in the ministry or at least involved in being a, either a youth pastor or assistant pastor or backup pastor and all this for about 30 years or so, something like that. And there's always, you know, you always got your little, uh, you know, bag of verses you pull out, you know, that you throw out to somebody. Oh, going through a hard time? Let me tell you, you know, you pull out the verse. And the verse that, you know, I used to pull out, um, was this Romans 8.28, and I used to pull it all the time, right? Hey, here, you know, let me give this to you. And but what happens when people started pulling out to me, I kind of like, man, I want to hear that verse. Romans 8.28, it says, you know, we know all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I remember going through some hard times and people come up, all things work together for good. I'm like, you know what, I'm about to throat punch you. You tell me how much good God's going to bring out of that. How about that one, huh? You know, because, because they didn't say it from their heart. They said, it's like, like I, I, I used to, just throw it out there, you know, because I thought they had to say something. You know, they really weren't understanding what I was going through. And, yeah, that verse is true. God works all things out for good. 
But at the time, that just it's not what I wanted to hear. God is not a procrastinator, you know. God doesn't let bad stuff happen and go, oh, man, I didn't realize, I'll just fix that later. That's not what it, he does. That's not what he's talking about. You know, the stories like Corey Tin Boom, who, you know, was taken captive by the Nazis and tortured and all that, and, and she was a Christian during that time. And matter of fact, her, her family was hiding the Jewish people from them in Holland, and, they, you know, they took her and they, they put her in the concentration camp and all that she went through. And then when she got out, she traveled for, I think it was 30 years, and she went around and spoke and talked about forgiveness because she said she forgave her captors and had a, had a chance. In 1947, she came face-to-face with one of the guards, and she knew exactly who he was. She said he, he probably didn't remember me because I was just one girl of all the girls that he was over, but she remembered him and uh, stuck out his hand and said, uh, hey, I'm a Christian. God forgave me, and you were talking about forgiveness. Will you forgive me? And she had to reach out and, and, and shake that man's hand. And she didn't want to. She told God, I don't want to do this, but I know you're going to give me the power to do this. God brought good out of bad. In Romans 8.31, this is really the passage of, of the Romans 8 chapter, you know, God works all things for good, that really, I think, speaks to me. And that's, the, you know, verses 31 to 32. So verses 8.28 says, all things work together for good. 29 and 30, God talks about, and Paul gets into about your calling. Man, you're called, you're called. God called you. We're going to get into that a little bit later. And God called you, and that's important. And from that calling, he jumps into verse 31, 32, and he says this, but, but, uh, but then we shall say, what, what shall we say to those things, all those things we talked about, about being called and God working these things out for good? If God is for us, who can be against us? And if God's on your side, man, what, what are we afraid of? It says, he, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely give us, uh, with him also freely give us all things? So God can redeem the bad. God can intervene and come in your life and redeem the bad things. Whether it was something you chose to do, like Mike, or maybe something that happened to you that was someone else's bad choice, like Corey Ten Boom. Either way. God can intervene and make it good. The second thing is God is faithful through our trials. God is faithful through our trials. Now, that word trial there, it, it's more than just like, it, it's, it's really everything in life that tests us. The passage that really speaks about that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says this, it says, No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above or beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So temptation, we always think of temptation as something that's like always sensual, right? We always think of it like that. But temptation is anything that draws us away from God and in sin. That's anything. It could be tempted to steal, lie, or cheat. Tempted to envy, to hate, lust, to quit on God, to um, doubt, seek revenge, create strife, cause division, all these things. Whatever it is that we're tempted to do, God says he can intervene. Now, notice it doesn't say that God takes the temptation away, all right? If, if, 
if I'm tempted by alcohol, God doesn't close down all the bars in my area or, you know, in my town. It says there, God will with, it means alongside of. Have you ever had that time where you're praying, you're going to do something you know you shouldn't be doing? And you're saying, oh, God, if you don't want me to do this, Lord, then you stop me. You ever done that? Lord, if, Lord, if you don't want me to do this, then just right now, make something happen to stop me, Lord. If you don't want me to, man, you know what? The fact that you're saying that out loud in your mind is God telling you to stop. And that, there's God's intervening right there. You know what you're doing. It's a matter of saying, God, man, give me the power to resist this. He says he can alongside, he can intervene, and alongside that temptation, he can give you power to escape it. You know, the story about the guy, you know, who uh, was on top of the house and, and the flood was coming and, and the guy came by in the boat and, and he says, jump on in. He said, no, I'm praying that God's going to save me. God's going to save me. He's like, all right, drives off on the boat. You know, and then the guy comes by in the helicopter, you know, lets down a ladder and, hey, man, grab on. The guy on top of the house, you know, hey, I'm waiting for God. He's going to save me. You know, and finally the flood water comes and the guy drowns <laughs> and he's gone. And he gets up to heaven and he says, Lord, man, I was waiting for you. Well, I believed you would save me. And he said, man, dude, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. <laughs> what do you, what you, you know, what's wrong with you? Now, that's how God is. You know, God, God can give us things. And here's, I'll tell you one thing right here. God will give you everywhere you go. If you put this word in your mind, I tell you, you, you commit this thing to memory, God will use that. I'm telling you. That spiritual book will come up, and that verse will come to you, and the Holy Spirit will bring that up. God will give you a way to escape. The thing is, is are you taking the way? Am I taking the way? Am I taking advantage of what God, how, when God intervenes? When God brings my mind, man, I shouldn't be doing this, do I start to pray right then and say, God, help me not to do this. Help me, Lord. Give me the power to say no, to, not to do this, to go the other way. God is faithful through our trials. Here in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, though the passage is talking about someone about getting saved, the principle is, is God does not have any pleasure or have any desire to see people perish under sin, whether saved or lost. God does not have any desire, Christian, to see you perish under your burden of sin. He wants to intervene. Will you let him? Will I let him? That leads us into the next one. That God loves us despite our sin. God loves us despite our sin. He says there in Romans chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, he says, for, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I like the word demonstrates there. The word demonstrate is the idea like, like a science project. You ever seen those, what is it, like a Diet Coke or something like that? They take a Diet Coke and they throw, what is that they throw in there? A Mentos, all right? And you take a Diet Coke and that thing just blows up. You know, I remember uh, I actually taught a science class in the, in the Christian school 
when I was the principal there one time, and um, you know, and one of the experience was it's pretty cool. He had a glass, you know, it was a clear look at. I, ble- I believe it was uh, alcohol, you know, rubbing alcohol. I think it was water or something like that. And you, you know, had five ounces here and five ounces here, and you, you know, pour it. And you would think it would overflow this other cup, but it didn't. It actually only made about seven ounces because uh, the molecules. I ain't gonna bore you, but it was pretty cool, you know. But it demonstrated, you know. Wow, that's cool. These, you know, these two different sides, they fit together. That's what God did. That's that demonstration, okay? That's what that word means. They're putting it together by way of comparison or combination. So God says this. By the way, notice that love is demonstrated. It's not just said. It's demonstrated. It's not a feeling. It's demonstrated. God demonstrated his love. And he combined these two things. He said, you're a sinner, but you know what? My son's going to die for you in your place. And that's how much I love you, and that's how I demonstrate my love to you. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. God loves us despite our sin. In 1 John chapter 4, verses, uh, verse 19, he said, we love him because he first loved us. You know, if you have any love for God, you know, as a Christian, any desire, you know what? You have that because God first loved you. God first had a desire for you. In Titus chapter 3, verses uh, 3 and 5, it says this. It says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards mankind appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You know, God loved us despite our sin. There's no way we worked into his love. There's no way that we did anything to earn his love. Now, I said this before. I'm going to say it again. I'm, I'm human. Please don't judge me. Okay? I don't know if you're like this. Me and my wife are sitting in a store that sells groceries and other items, and we were like clothing and things like that and lawn care. And she was facing me, and I was, and, and we're, we got our cart, and there, there is a person that walked by, because we're, we're on the end of an aisle, and, you, and this particular store has big aisles on either side of aisles. <laughs> I'm trying to name it. And so the person pushing a cart, who's not a member of this church, let's <laughs> want to clarify that, uh, comes by, and I give her a look, and she's looking at me, she goes, who is it? And I'm like, oh, and, and we're about to maybe make a turn, but the person saw us and came down the aisle, and uh, hey, man, how you doing? Good to see you. That's just human, right? That's how we are, because we're sinful, we're judging we, 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 we categorize people. God comes in us for that. You know, the person walked away, and I told my wife, I said, man, I just pray for that guy. He's got a lot of things going on. I, I feel for him. My heart breaks for him. It really does. He's just you know, a, lot, a lot of troubles, a lot of struggles. But, you know, God doesn't look at that. God doesn't, God doesn't love us and judge us because of who we are or what we've done or um, if we're a likable person, God just loves you 
He loves you because he chooses to love you. He chooses to love me. And how and we we pick and choose who we love because of whether we we're impressed by them or or we get along with them or whatever whatever it is, but God's not like that. God's not like that. God intervenes and loves us despite our sin. Third or fourth, yeah, I gotta count there. Fourth, God will reward the faithful. God will reward faithfulness. I talked about before grace, mercy, and blessing. You know, grace and mercy is great. Things I don't deserve. I don't get things I do deserve. Hold on. Things I don't deserve, I get. Yeah, it was, man, it's grace. Things I do deserve, man, I should get in trouble for this, but God is merciful, right? Then I, I don't get. But then there's blessing. And blessing is God, it's, it's only for faithful. It's, it's for being obedient to what God wants you to do. When God reveals to you, like what he's talked, like, like Mike talked about on the video, and as God began to show him, not don't do this, don't do this, which we focus on, but this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to love, man. I want you to forgive. I want you to confess. I want you to, to, to do this and this. And then as he began to do what God wanted him to do, and God began to, man, bless him. That's where blessing comes in. Obedience, faithfulness. See, I, I like the word obedient. I mean, obedient is good. The Bible uses it because it, it does have a purpose to be obedient. But, man, my dog is obedient because he's trained to. But, man, being faithful is something about the heart. Man, you're faithful to God because you want to be, because you desire to, faithful. In Philippians chapter 4, it says this. It says, but I have all, Paul said, and I'm in a bound. I am full Having received of Epaphroditus the, thing, the things which were sent from you, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. See, here's this church in Philippi that was struggling. They were poor. They didn't have much. But there was a, there was a need, just like Doug and them are gone now. There was a need. There was a work. There was a mission work going on. Paul was involved. There was a need. So they, they were faithful. God spoke to their heart, and they decided to get involved. And to doing so, it cost them. And so Paul says, man, I appreciate all that you did, the sacrifice that you, you guys went through to, that, that the mission work could go through. And he says this, but my God shall supply all your need. Some of those people didn't have anything, but they gave what they even didn't have so that the mission work could go. And God says, you know what? God's going to bless you for that because you were faithful to what God spoke to your heart to do. In Exodus chapter 35, whenever Moses comes out of the wilderness and has the children of Israel, they're going to build this tabernacle where they can worship the Lord. He tells them, he says, take from among you an offering of the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart. Man, that's what God wants, a willing heart. Let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, bronze. And he goes through several verses, all these things you can bring uh, so that they can build this tabernacle. And in verse 10, he begins and talks about the people with the craftsmen, the skilled craftsmen. He said, hey, if, you, if you're gifted in this and you can work in that and you have the ability to do this and this and so and all that, then if you're of a willing heart, come and help us build this tabernacle. God wants people who want to be involved. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, So let each one of you give as he purposed in his heart, 
not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that particular instance, there were the Jewish Christians down there in the Israel, Israel, uh, you know, Judea and all that area uh, that were suffering persecution and, and were famine and, and all that was going on. So Paul wanted to take some monetary needs down there and the Christian churches up north were gathering together some things so they can take down there and help their brethren down there in Jerusalem. And so Paul was taking this gift and he said, hey, listen, God's not forcing you. He's not twisting your arm. As a person purposes in your heart, if you purpose to do something, that means you choose to do it. God says, as you purpose in your heart, it's your choice. But don't do it grudgingly or think you have to or, man, everybody else was given. So I got, God don't want it then. He's not interested in that. He's interested in a willing heart. So God will intervene. I'll tell you what, there's some people... Um, I appreciate the people of new, new life that get involved and they sacrifice and they do and they go as our people did. Man, God will intervene and supply your need. God will intervene. Just be faithful. Be faithful. And then the last one is God has chosen you. God has chosen you. Now, man, to, to, to make this thing, my wife was wondering what I was doing today. Ah, to, to make this thing, I'm going to, Doug taught me well. I, I got these little things here. Man, I hope, I wasn't expecting having to hold the mic, so this is a little bit more than my body can, can do. Let's try this. Ah, man, yeah, I'll try. So, yeah, how we think God chooses things, I'm going to put this down, hold on. All right, I'm going to try this. This is a mess, man. All right, so since I'm going to pick on ourselves, since, you know, we're aligned with, you wouldn't know it, but we're aligned with the Baptists, right? No, no, it's okay. Well, no, that'd be a good idea, but I'll make it work. All right, so you got these churches, right? You got the, the important Baptist church. You ever been to an important Baptist church? Okay, all right, no comment from the people. We're not going to judge anybody. But, but you know what I'm talking about, right? We're going to pick on ourselves. You got the important Baptist church. You ever been to prestigious, prestigious Baptist church? You ever been to that church? I, I was actually, I actually went to prestigious Baptist church once in another state. There's some good people there. But still, prestigious Baptist church. And you got new life. <laughs> and marker actually had to throw it away. It was, <laughs> it was the last of it. All right? <clears throat> and this is how we think God chooses. Puts his hand in the bag, right? Ho, ho! Ah, a delicious apple. Well, that's that lady that, uh, man, wrote all those uh, self-help books, and she is, man, has led so many people to the Lord and really came out and, and done some wonderful things and gives half of what she makes to the mission work. Beautiful. Ah, beautiful. We're going to, she's so important. Well, she's, I'm going to put her in important Baptist church, man. She's, she's a good lady. <clears throat> oh, then you got that guy 
Uh, he's got about four, five, six hundred degrees, several, almost every letter of the alphabet behind his name, man. He's solved several types of diseases and stuff. And this dude, he knows a couple senators and all that. And, uh, man, this guy is pretty up there, knows a lot of people. He's pretty prestigious. We're going to we'll put him in prestigious Baptist church. That's where he goes. That guy right there. Oh, this is going to be tough here, but. Oh, there's that power couple. <laughs> that husband and wife team. Man, he's GQ, and she's um, one of those Hollywood magazines, like Glamour, right? She's like, I mean, I'm not talking about me and my wife, guys. Come on. <laughs> I know you thought I was saying that, but I, I wasn't. But, no, this is that power couple, man. They're just, I mean, everybody loves them, man. They want to be. When they come to your small group or in your Sunday school, you're like, oh, wow. Hey, they're in our. That's the ones you love, man. That's them. Man, they Actually, one goes to one church and one goes to the other because that's how they're very spiritual. They can do that, and they're good, all right? But uh, let's see what else we got here. Um, oh, what's – I don't even know what I got in here. Oh, let's save that for that's – a, that's a donut. I'm going to save that for later. <laughs> that's actually mine. That's, that's like Enoch, you know, God took him up <laughs> and wanted him for himself. That's, that's mine. <laughs> oh, here we go. See, God reaches in there and pulls out a burnt piece of toast. <laughs> I feel sorry for the, I hate to look at the toaster that made that thing. By the way, honey, I'm going to get us a new toaster today at that store we're talking about. <clears throat> um. Yeah, we'll put him in a new life. <laughs> that guy goes to a new life. You know, because new life, they, that's the kind of church they are, right? The unchurched kind of people. Oh, then you got a lemon. Hmm. Well, I mean, he is a, you know, they are good. <sighs> well, well, we'll just put him in new life. New life needs some of that to balance that out. I don't know. Oh, man, a banana. Now, see, that's just, not, that's just not worthy. See, I won't choose that one. There's nothing to it. It's used, empty. Nah, not choosing that one. And that's how we think God chooses. But that's not what the Scripture says. The Bible says, if I can find the page, yeah. in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26, he says, for, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty. Now, that particular church there wasn't at Corinth. They didn't have a lot of people who were that kind of, of area. But not saying that God didn't. They just didn't see a lot of those people saved in that church. He says, not many noble are called. He says, but God, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that which are mighty and, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should uh, glory in his presence. That's how God chooses. See, that word to choose means to pick or to choose for one's self. God doesn't just stick his hand in the bag of eternity and pull out one and just say, oh, I guess I'll take him. God, 
chooses. He says, man, I, I want that. And you know what? I'm going to take that banana out of there, and I'm going to put him in new life. I'm going to make something out of that. You think you're foolish? That word means intellectually weak, right? God chose you. You think maybe that, man, I keep falling in sin, I keep falling in sin, I keep, man, I keep, this keeps happening to me. God chose you. The weak. The base? Man, I'm a nobody. Fine, God chose you. Despised. The guy that me and my wife despised in the supermarket? God chose him. The base, the insignificant, God chose. God chose you. God actively, willingly chose you, saw you, saw you for who you are, for what you did and what you're worth, and he chose you for himself. God intervened. And chose you. And you might be here today and you're not even saved, but you know what? God is reaching out to choose you. But you have a you have a choice. Because remember that? God, God's not gonna make you. You have a choice to accept that hand that's reached down to grab you out for where you are. When God says, Hey, I'm choosing you, I want you, you can reach up and say, All right, Lord, here I am. Forgive me my sins and be the leader of my life. And take hold of his hand. That's what you can do. God wants to intervene in your life. Will you, will you let him? Will you let him? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord, again, we, we thank you so much for your amazing grace, God, that you chose us. You didn't have to, but, Lord, that you wanted to. You actively and willingly chose us for yourself. Despite what we are, despite what we've done, despite even what the future has, you still chose us, Lord and love us, and gave your only begotten Son, Lord, that we might have a life with you throughout all eternity, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to see where you intervene in our life and how you work and, and what you're doing, and help us, Lord, to surrender ourselves to you. Uh, Lord, there's probably someone here right now, Father, that needs you desperately probably to intervene in their life. They're asking you, God, please intervene. I'm in a mess. I'm in trouble. God, please help me. I pray, Lord, that you would answer that prayer. And do a, a, something miraculous, Lord, in their life. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.